My guest today is Joseph Nucci, although you may know him from his social media handle at Joe Nucci, where he shares his ideas about therapy speak and the colloquial use of trauma. You know, when trauma was first formulated as a diagnosis, it was very controversial. Events themselves aren't traumatic. Our responses to them are. You know, once something gets over a thousand views and listens, it's just not about you anymore. The, you know, the medicalization of everyday life is something that I think about, and um, it's something I'm a little bit concerned about as these terms become more popular by overgeneralizing that everything is just trauma, which, and maybe what some people mean by that is life is really hard and life can be really stressful, and which betcha it can. That brings me to narcissism. Listen, I'm not saying that there aren't, you know, empathic people out there, and, you know, whether or not they, you know, um, should claim the identity of empath is a different conversation, but I've I've seen it more than once in my practice where people come in and they say, you know, I have, you know, um, I'm an empath and I, I do a history and it's like, well, it also sounds like you have some trauma. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If. Only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. My guest today is Joseph Nucci, although you may know him from his social media handle at Joe Nucci, where he shares his ideas about therapy speak and the colloquial use of trauma. My friend George shared one of Joe's posts recently on his stories on Instagram, and it hit me between the eyes because I just thought this is the account that I've been looking for. In an age where we've never been more literate about mental health, it feels as though these words are being used to label and and not really much more. And as someone who has clawed their way back from the depths of depression, I don't feel this is helpful. And I would like to see this change, which is why seeing Joe's account made me so happy and why I shared it immediately. And it was only when quite a few followers said, surely he's a podcast guest, thanks in particular to Yasmin, that I reached out and I'm delighted to say he said yes. Joe is a practicing psychotherapist who opened Denver Mines in Colorado and now lives and works in New York. He was born in California and raised in Monterey and earned a master's in clinical counseling from Northwestern University. The post of Joe's that I saw began, this is going to piss off a lot of people, but I have to say it. I am so over the cult of trauma. And that feels like an excellent place to start. Welcome to the Emma Gunn Show, Joe. How are you? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. It's a real pleasure. So talk to me about these posts that you put up, because I think they are brilliant. They are so well thought out. But I've alluded to it. Many of them start with, you're not going to like this, but. <laughs> yeah, well, my uh, uh, kind of social media content creation journey um, I kind of, I became more serious about it almost by accident. I made my first short form video post in, um, on April 17th, I think it was. And at the time I was only being followed 
by friends and family. Um, it was my 10th or 15th post. I made a post about, you know, about cognitive therapy, basically. I said, you don't have to believe everything you think. And I, I talked about that truism in, in psychotherapy and it's fallen off the algorithm now, but I think it rounded off like just under a million views. Um, it got 130,000 in the first 24 hours. And it was, I mean, the first time I'd experienced anything like that. And for a really long time, I was trying to figure out, you know, I love being a therapist. I love private practice. And it was like, what else? Um, you know, is I almost went to law school. I thought about getting my PhD. I thought about getting involved in kind of like the tech venture capital side of mental health. Um, and I started the the videos really to advertise for the practice. That's how a lot of, you know, service businesses advertise for themselves now. And so, um, but when things started getting viewed a lot, I started taking it a little bit more seriously. And when I started taking it a little bit more seriously, I started to read, you know, about the science of virality um, and started to just kind of think like, okay, well, what do we know what works? And you may um, remember um, if you followed any of like the U.S. politics stuff that in the 2016 election, for example, um, a little moral outrage goes viral quicker. Um, and, you know, that's not good or bad. It just is, in my opinion. And so I thought to myself, is there anything about this field that genuinely, you know, irks me? Um, and can I talk about it on, on camera? And it's not to be contrarian, like just for likes, for the sake of, you know, getting in high impressions, right? It's actually, well, there's anything that actually matters to me. And the topic that you brought up, the um, misuse and sometimes abuse of certain psychological terms, therapy speak, um, also irks me a little bit. And so when I made that video, um, I mean, I knew it would get engagement. I didn't think it would be like, I think it's like at five and a half million views on Instagram alone. And <clears throat> when I posted it, I think I only had like, <clears throat> excuse me, I think I only had like, what, like, 30,000 followers at the time. So that's, it's kind of an outlier in terms of in terms of certain viral posts. And um, I guess I share all of that to say that, you know, the framing is a bit intentional, and there's an authentic piece to it as well. Um, and I think the reason I wanted to speak on it was because I, when I started making content, like I did, I started consuming mental health content more. And it's just, it may sound funny, but as a therapist, I wasn't really doing that before. Like, I was just getting my information from other places. And I don't fault content creators for, you know, oversimplifying things or not adding a ton of nuance, because I get it, it's really hard in 90 seconds to, you know, make something very nuanced. But um, some of the things I, I were seeing were, were just wrong. And it was from licensed professionals. And it really started to hit me when I was socializing with friends, you know, New York City, a lot of my friends are very professional, they're very highly educated, they were starting to use the terms like some of the popular accounts that I see. And, you know, when I'm talking to my friends, you know, I'm not, um, I'm not in therapist mode, I'm not in content creator mode, I'm not, you know, looking to kind of correct people there. And then it's kind of like, you know, I'm sure lawyers notice when people are not, uh, like, maybe misuse grammar or something, you know, <laughs> there's a time and place, but I think that social media in some ways is the public square. And so I, I made that post because I think the word trauma is misunderstood and misused. And in a way, it's a good problem to have, right? Because I think that it's a good thing that more people, you know, are talking about trauma and have some idea what it is and are a little bit more aware of it. But that doesn't mean that we 
just because that's a good thing doesn't mean we can't talk about the downsides and the problems that I think are emerging. And what are those problems, do you think, that are emerging with uh, what I would say is perhaps more of us than ever before identifying as having been traumatized and not necessarily then knowing what to do with that trauma? Yeah, well, I think that um, I, 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 I made a post about this, but you know, when trauma was first formulated as a diagnosis, it was very controversial. Um, but a lot of the studies have come in and, you know, people more or less agree that, that this is a thing. It's, it creates changes in your nervous system, in the brain. There's certain, um, there are certain studies coming out now looking at like epigenetics and how it can actually change things on a very, very deep level. Um, and it moved on from this very kind of rigid definition of PTSD to this more kind of dimensional um definition of trauma where it's like you can have some PTSD symptoms but not all of them but the trauma is still very legitimate and then there is this kind of introduction of this big t trauma versus little t trauma so big t traumas are like you were in a car accident or a plane crash or in a war um, and then little t trauma is a trauma reaction to something that is not um, maybe kind of classically thought of as something very traumatic but the introduction to little, the introduction of this concept of little t trauma really highlights how events themselves are not traumatic. It's we have trauma responses to them. Mm -hmm. And the thing that I see a lot of people, so that's the first thing. People actually talk about events like they're traumatic unto themselves. Um, some people, you know, go to war and develop PTSD. There's this really wonderful book, I think, called, is it called Belong by Sebastian, I don't know how to pronounce his last name, it's J-U-N-G-E-R, um, where I remember reading about how if you actually look at um, veterans and, and people who participate in the military in Israel, they actually have really low rates of PTSD. And the reason they have lower rates is because, well, number one, Israel is like always at war, right? So there actually isn't like, so that's they're constantly like have that, those the stimuli, you know, yeah. that might be triggering for someone who's at war and then comes home to a country that that's not at, at war. Um, and um, then there's, you know, also the the fact that, um, you know, two people can get into a car accident like you and I, and you might develop PTSD and I might walk away a little shaken up, which is fine. Mm. And so that's the number one thing. I think that it's events themselves aren't traumatic. Our responses to them are. Um, and that doesn't mean that the trauma isn't important and doesn't do everything people says it does. But I think that's a that's a more helpful way to think about it because the subjective nature of it's really confusing, right? When it's subjective, that's the second thing I think people get wrong because of that subjective nature. People then start to say, well, if I say it's a trauma response, that's what it is. But nowhere in my knowledge has any, you know, significant writing or literature studies on trauma have said, well, anything is, anything can be defined as trauma because now we've exited you know, kind of clinical mental health terminology. And then it becomes like a linguistic problem. It becomes a problem of, of definitions. I think this is, this touches on something really interesting as well, where um, lived experience is now equal to evidence-based data and science. So you right. could present yeah, yeah. as much as you want to me, scientifically proven studies about X, Y, or Z. And I could say, but my lived experience is this. And it mm -hmm. and it we're at an impasse, even yeah. whereas before science right. and evidence would have outweighed the lived experience yeah. somewhat. Yeah, well, I think it's um, 
something that I, I, I sometimes talk about, I want to talk about it more is really encouraging people to um, become kind of research literate. And so my undergraduate education was at Wesleyan University, and it's a research institution. Like that's what you do in a lot of the classes there. You actually publish papers and and talk about them. And the psychological papers that you might find um, have limitations. And any sort of social science, any social scientist, I should say, worth their salt is going to do kind of a, a multivariate analysis of a problem. They're actually going to look at, you know, multiple factors that are contributing to the problem. Um, and they're all always going to recognize that there are almost always outliers. And so there may be trends and the very strong trends in psychological sciences are trends for a reason, but that doesn't mean they apply to every single person. And so if I, you know, talk about trauma or anxiety and I, I refer to a paper um, that's, you know, very rigorously studied and someone comments, well, this doesn't apply to me. Okay, like, great you know, or not so great, I guess, depending on the finding of, of the of the paper. Um, but I think that's actually very normal. And there are very few, one of the reasons why therapists are so typically saying, well, you know, it's not good or bad, it just is, you know, they're, or they're very kind of, they, they like to think in the gray, they like to think mm. in the gray area is because that's human experience is complicated, and it's messy. Um, and um, I think people who really want to find really kind of like hard rigid truths about the human experience i'm not totally sure psychology is going to offer a lot of that um it's a little bit more new and that, that's why i love it personally but, mm. so yeah. when you started putting out content i'm curious if just by dint of having put out what you have put out whether you ended up getting responses from people you got people like me going, yes, thank goodness, I really align with this. I am totally in, into what you're saying. But then I wonder if you get the responses of you're minimizing my lived experience, you're minimizing my trauma, and whether yeah. whether that's something you've experienced. Yeah. I, so in the, the, the post that you brought up initially, um, most of the comments have been positive. There have been a lot of negative ones. Um, one of the I'm still very new to this industry and very new to content creation. And one of the best pieces of advice I got um, was from a friend who works in media. And he said that, you know, once something gets over a thousand views and listens, it's just not about you anymore. Like it's your face. It may even be your idea or belief, but you created a product that might as well be an entity that is going to go live a life cycle out on the Internet. And you just need to go let it live and let people interact with it the way you do. Um, you know, and I, I, it's been a very comforting piece of advice. And I, I also think it's true because some of the responses, you know, even some of the responses, like some people have taken it to be like, yes, like, you know, trauma is, um, can I swear on here? Go ahead. Okay. It's like some people have taken it to be like, yes, like trauma is bullshit. And if that's your takeaway from this video, you didn't listen to the video, in my opinion. And if, if the, on the other side of things is like, well, you're invalidating my experience this was the trauma that i went through i also don't think you listened to the video like respectfully you mm -hmm. know and compassionately because i'm so sorry that happened to you it sounds like you have pretty classic ptsd i don't <laughs> think that this problem that i'm discussing applies to you <laughs> yes because it is it's that it's the um pathologizing of normal reasonable and rational human emotions i think which is what we're seeing so for example 
if you are going to a job interview, it is perfectly rational and reasonable to have a human feeling of nervousness, but that's not anxiety. And if mm. you... Yeah. have a day where you wake up and you feel a bit blue maybe you have a couple of those in the in a row and life is a bit tough work's difficult those few days don't mean depression potentially you might have right. to keep an eye on it but it's so it's that isn't it it's that sort of we're very very quick to label our feelings and I'm interested to know what you think about that but I also think it feeds into a much bigger piece which is this idea that life should be happy at all times and so if there's anything even a, a sort of a speck of dust on your happiness landscape yeah. then you think it has been ruined and therefore you use a very medical term to describe that feeling even if actually what it is you're just feeling a bit uneasy today yeah the you know the medicalization of everyday life is something that I think about, and um, it's something I'm a little bit concerned about as these terms become more popular. The examples of using anxious and depressed in a more kind of colloquial way, um, I'm less concerned about that, just because you know people are allowed to um, people are allowed to exaggerate. They're allowed to be a little dramatic. That's just kind of how they express themselves, um, and I think that's okay. I think that if you really want to prioritize um, being really mental health literate and destigmatizing mental health, then maybe you should actually use other words. Like I'm feeling blue. I'm feeling down. I'm not feeling very motivated today. I'm, you know, really in my head today. I'm anticipating a lot. I'm nervous. Um, I think that's fine. The, the, the reason why trauma has captured my attention is because I, the way I was trained is that even if someone tells you about an event, like in therapy, one-on-one, -on -one, if someone tells you about an event that's objectively sounds like it could be pretty traumatizing. Like maybe they disclose physical abuse that happened to them when they were younger or something like that. Um, you don't necessarily dive in with labels right away because if they're not actually experiencing signs of trauma, um, you don't actually want to inadvertently traumatize them or kind of embed these certain trauma reactions and introduce narratives of having trauma reactions when there aren't any. Um, and this is this is this is something that the field has actually dealt with before. So you, if you um, kind of track the history of mental health, you may remember hearing about something called like the Satanic Panic. I think this was in like the '70s and '80s, where um, clinicians, I believe it was mostly hypnotists, but, but also I think people practicing psychoanalysis, if I'm not mistaken, um, were kind of you know saying like, oh well, you've completely repressed this memory of you know sexual abuse or childhood abuse and there was like a famous court case where it was like proven it's like this didn't happen you know but the person ended up believing mm. that it did happen and so if that can happen one-on-one -on -one in therapy I don't know why other people aren't more concerned that by using the word trauma interchangeably with stress that's what I think often happens um, people say that was traumatizing what they mean is that was stressful or that impacted me um I don't know. I, th I think it's a pretty reasonable concern, personally. Um, there is this, I haven't cracked it open yet. It's actually somewhere on my shelf here, but there's this um, book that was recommended to me by a follower and it's called um, Mistakes Were Made, But Not By Me. And it's <laughs> about um, how people like to kind of, you know, absolve themselves from, you know, any sort of responsibility when mistakes are made. And it's, um they go through a lot of different examples, but apparently in there where they talk about therapists, in inpatient units in like the psych ward who were 
treating people, they were kind of coming in with what we would call like a borderline level of functioning. So in, in psychodynamic psychotherapy or in um, psychoanalysis, they um, there's kind of a spectrum of functioning and borderline is not like borderline personality disorder. It means like basically like you're, um, it's a commentary on your level of functioning, like within your mind. And they were actually leaving worse. And it was because people were kind of not being responsible with um, with how they were kind of discussing these issues of the mind. And so I don't want to sound overly alarmist. I don't think that there's this like, you know, mass epidemic of people, you know, kind of falsifying their, their trauma. Because on the other side of it, it's been really stigmatized until recently. And I wholeheartedly, you know, agree with that. But I think that there's a, a nuance there that's that's really, really important. And it just, it kind of blows my mind that I've seen some content creators who presumably know this about trauma, maybe they don't, but presumably they know, and then they get on camera and then they say something like, your whole personality is just a trauma response. Mm. No, it's not. The whole fields of personality psychology would actually disagree with you. <laughs> you know? Um, and I know you have to kind of know what's going on there. Is it um, is it incompetency? Is it a semantic linguistic issue? Um, is it are they just trying to advertise their practice? I don't I don't know. It I I it's very interesting, and the fact that that will come up between like somebody eating um, noodles <laughs> and somebody on TikTok, yes. you've got all these different. The fact that it will will be sandwiched between the most random videos and then it's like hey do you sometimes feel anxious well everyone's going to stop yeah. and listen to that that could be because your entire personality is a trauma response like who isn't going to the thing is is that sows a very dangerous seed it's like a japanese knotweed because even if you don't quite know mm. what it means even if you don't know what your trauma is once that seed is planted you you might yeah. come back to it the next time you have a difficult day or the next mm. time something trips you up but that is just life isn't it it's not necessarily yeah. because you're looking for the trauma yeah. that caused the issue. Yeah, sure. Um, the I, I think that's absolutely right. And I think the other thing that I haven't mentioned is that by overgeneralizing that everything is just trauma, which and maybe what some people mean by that is life is really hard and life can be really stressful and which betcha it can. Um I think that they're actually robbing people of these other distinctions that might actually help them understand themselves better and improve their mental health. And so I'll just give you actually a, a personal example. Um, I lost my dad when I was younger, quite unexpectedly. Um, and looking back, even though I was I was 11 at the time, but looking back, it's like, yeah, some of that looks like what we might consider like a textbook trauma response. Understandably, me at my age now, I don't have trauma for my dad's loss still or from from losing my dad it still impacts me you know and you know we can have a whole separate conversation about grief but you know in my personal therapy on my personal journey one of the more helpful reflections i ever got from a therapist was you know don't look at this as something that you know that is like good or bad or like traumatic in a sense but it's it's a part of your story you know this thing happened to you and it's impacting you and how is it impacting you now how is it showing up in your romantic relationships now in your work life now in whatever it is and to say that it's you know that oh well all the ways that losing my dad impacted me is because of trauma i think it completely actually invalidates a lot of the more you know i think 
colorful and even sometimes harder human experiences that we that we have um does that make sense that it's kind of like well there's actually like so much more to learn about myself outside of this one concept this one framework this one buzzword well if you were in isolation to say a child at the age of 11 lost a parent most people's response to that very uh, black and white information would be gosh that must have been terrible I don't think actually many people many people would say trauma, but the initial sort of flash response to that is that must have been terrible. But as you say, yeah. that doesn't accommodate any of any nuance into that experience of the in, the actual individuals involved, mm-hmm. the circumstances, and all of those things. And so maybe right. these labels are almost labels of of labels <laughs> of just kind of these little <laughs> yeah. stick figure situations as opposed to the real situation because other because then it becomes quite cookie cutter doesn't it sure yeah absolutely and i think that you know the one of i had a supervisor in grad school and she was very fond of saying like you know remember n equals one like you're treating this patient and it's like yes we have all these studies and trends and science and like the art of psychotherapy and the theory of all the stuff that we can pull from but it's like at the end of the day like N equals one. It's like this is this is an individual sitting in front of you, and um, you know, in a lot of ways, I'm still very early in my career. But if if I've learned one thing, it's man, people are so different from each other. It really is a treat um, and a, and a privilege to kind of get to know that side of people's you know minds and their lived experience. Because I'm surprised all the time. Like I'm I'm anticipating that you know they'll you know say that that you know that that was traumatic and then they you know and then they'll be like oh it wasn't that bad and then you know they continue to talk about you know the story and it's just like okay you know it's funny i think Um, i i I learned yeah i learned the word sonder recently is it sonder i'm now going to double i'm now uh, guessing myself which i hadn't heard before or hadn't seen it used in context which uh but what you've just said makes me think about that I think it's Sonder. Please let it be Sonder. I don't think it is. <laughs> what is the meaning of Sonder? It is not Sonder. It must be something else. I'll come back to it another time. But it's basically that every single person okay. is living, is experiencing a reality that they believe to be entirely real and you're a part of it, but they are completely separate and have nothing to do with each other. Maybe it's Yonder. Anyway, yeah. it's um, yeah. <laughs> you can tell it's a recent new word that I still haven't yeah. committed. But totally. that is... <laughs> but it is, you're right. Everyone can, it's colorful. And I love the fact that you say that seeing this in people is a treat. I like that. It is, it is a treat. Um, you know, it, even the most, you know, kind of um, from the patient or client perspective, even the people who are most practiced at receiving psychotherapy, if you see a new therapist, it takes it takes time. It takes time to really open up and kind of you know explore certain things um and so when you when you you know the, i think the the deeper you you get with people and the more candid they are with you it's um it is a treat and i do i do find it's um like uh, i used the word privilege earlier it's like it's an honor in some ways because it's it's an expression of trust mm. um you know that them opening up to you there are a few more things that you've talked about online that I really want to dig into but i just want to ask you yeah. about trauma just this one little element of it which I'm somewhat nervous to even bring up because I'm bringing up from my own personal experience, but also from experiences of a lot of female friends of mine. So I've worked in the media for nearly 25 years. 
And in that time, I don't know how best to phrase this, but especially in my early career, when I was in my 20s, you would come across, you you understood that there were certain men in the industry that you just, you gave them a wide berth. And I will leave it at that. But you just kind of understand that we, uh, if this is um, a food chain, you understood where you were on it and you kind of saw where the apex predators were and you made sure that you stayed in your pretty safe habitat. And... <laughs> When the Me Too movement happened, I had a lot of quite quiet, definitely not public conversations with quite a lot of girlfriends, some of whom have been in the industry as long as I have, some who've been in longer, who again had come up against people in the entertainment industry and said they were very, very confused because having, uh, absorbing all of the information about Me Too, they felt that they should feel for, they should feel traumatized. Because actually when they're listening to other people's experiences and they were talking very publicly about their own trauma in that particular area, they realized that they had had similar experiences, but had just gone, that's just how it is. Mm -hmm. And then sort of were having this retroactive or, or sort of retrofitting of, should I, should I attach trauma to that or, or not? Mm -hmm. And so I yeah. think that's quite an interesting thing to sort of look back and realize, actually, that was something, but I didn't feel it at the time. So should I relabel it now and package yeah. it somewhere else in my brain? Yeah. Well, to that, I would say, you know, I think one of the reasons why my posts about trauma had been so popular is because I'm asking a question that has kind of one foot in kind of clinical world and then the other foot in in culture um and you're asking a a cultural question um like should i word and i think that for me as a clinician um the way i would use the word is i would use it with a little bit more clinical precision um and so it's not to say that anyone who has talked about um any woman or any person who is, you know, speaking about, you know, kind of abuses in power um, and any sort of kind of, you know, dynamics within sexism or whatever it might be. Um, I'm not saying if I, if, if when I say like, maybe you shouldn't use the word trauma, I'm not saying, I'm not saying don't talk about it. I'm just saying that is it, you know, did it really, you know, you know, impact your career trajectory? You know, did it, how did it make you feel? Um, what were, you know, the the long-lasting implications? And if those were, you know, trauma, then I think use use the word. Um, in a lot of ways, it's it's interesting to even feel um, uncomfortable having this conversation because what I'm what I'm really saying and what I think I've said in a lot of my videos is I think that certain words and certain terms should have like um, what is it? It's like some sort of like semantic integrity. Like I think there we there should be a boundary in which the definition stops expanding. And I don't think that that should be controversial. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think that it, it will actually, and the, and the vision is actually, well, hopefully this allows people to feel more connected and more known and, 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 and seen even more. And I think one of the really interesting praises I've gotten for my posts are from survivors, people who've experienced trauma, PTSD, um, complex PTSD. Um, and they're all saying like, thank you. What's happened to me? Because everyone thinks they went through something that I went through or everyone, you know, thinks that they understand my experience when like they actually didn't like need to go to therapy. 
for what happened to them. I'm actually still working on my trauma reactions. I get triggered very, very easily. Um, and this is very, very hard. And I think that if we're going to destigmatize mental health, I think that those people should be allowed to, to talk about what's happening with them. I personally, you know, my vision for the future of mental health is that people can talk about their trauma. Um, people can talk about their trauma and people understand what it means. Just like when people talk about diabetes, people understand what it means. Um, but in order for that to happen, I think there needs to be a, um, an agreed upon parameters on, on definitions for the word. And wherever we draw that line is where we draw that line. But that's why I'm speaking up about it. Mm. So do you think at some point we need to, or we have to not surrender, but gen pop maybe does have to surrender some of the vocabulary and let and, and leave it to you guys? Because otherwise... I could go onto social media and see somebody talking exactly the same way you are and think, yes, I'm in safe hands, yeah. but they're not qualified, that it's snake oil, but mm -hmm. they, you, but, but they yeah. sound like a psychotherapist. Right. Yeah. I think that um, my definition of success around this is not even necessarily that as a culture, we figure out, you know, where this line is together. My definition of success is that, most people know that there is a debate and conversation about this issue. Um, number one, I think that the latter is way more achievable. <laughs> and um, and number two, I think that other subcultures have debates around language as well. And that's normal and healthy in a, in a culture, a subculture to kind of have that conflict. And number three, this is actually an argument that the clinical community is having. And so while there are people who may pose a psychotherapist selling snake oil. There's also some psychotherapists, most clinicians that I've heard from have agreed with my message. Um, I don't know how much of that is just kind of the echo chambers we see online, but that's just been, that's been my experience. The, there are some who haven't agreed with what I have to say, and they conceptualize trauma completely differently than I do. Um, and so that's the other thing I'm very passionate about in terms of when I say like, hey, like, you know, this might, you know, make you a little uncomfortable. Let's talk about this definition or let's talk about this concept. It's because I had debates about this in class, you know, and then you see a 60 second clip on it online and you think that's the definition. And it's like, no, there's often, you know, a lot of healthy debate. I mean, Freud was alive a hundred years ago, you know, psychotherapy is actually pretty new. Um, and so it's, it's not a bad thing that we're having these conversations. So I, all that to say is I think that the, the better solution is to have conversations like this, you know, make podcast episodes and content like this. And so people can actually, who, who want to learn more and kind of want to get into the nuances of it can learn. Mm. Okay. I want to get into a couple of the other areas that you talk about. And one of them is narcissism, <laughs> because this is a subject sure. narcissism really caught my interest a few years ago. And I think I fell into the trap. Well, you can tell me, Joe, if I fell into the trap, because I came out of a relationship and felt very, very wounded and very, very damaged and actually very drained. Yeah. And somebody mm -hmm. sent me a link to a feature on the Elephant Journal, which was about um, the empath-narcissist dynamic. And there was something yeah. so com comforting and pleasing about thinking, oh, I am the empath. They were the narcissist. Because I could very simply make it quite binary in that one moment that I read that piece. It says, I was the good, they were the bad. Now, we've come a long way yeah. since then, Joe. 
I totally yeah. appreciate there are six of one and half a dozen of the other. And I take accountability for my part in a toxic dynamic. But again, it's like I was saying to you before we started recording, I see something about narcissism online every single day. And I see other people, I see followers, I see people in comments responding, clearly finding that comfort. And yeah. uh, I'm just wondering what you think about that. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Yeah, totally. Let's also talk about the term empath while we're at it. Um, and um, I would say a couple of things. I would say, well, first of all, I'm sorry to hear about your relationship. And I want to, um, if I haven't made a post about this, I, I should, but I, I, I want to normalize, you know, following a breakup, particularly. Um, the immediate aftermath of a breakup is not it is not adaptive or even healthy, I would argue, to be viewing the situation with really great kind of ob objectivity. Um, immediately after a breakup, take, you know, the words narcissism and em empath out of it. It is normal for it's like, you know, to be talking to your friends and your ex is the devil and you can't believe you were ever in love with them. And, you know, you did right. And it's, you know, psychologically, we might call this, you know, dichotomous thinking or splitting, you know. And, but that actually, that's a period that I think needs to happen because if that doesn't happen, why would you move on? You know, yeah. if you, if you immediately, you know, it, it, the, the, the relationships that are often very hard to move on from are the relationships in which um, it's like, oh, like they're still so great. And I really care about them. It's just not a good partnership fit right now, you know, and then you, <laughs> you kind of get, it's actually difficult to actually make that separation. And so I think that there's actually something very normal and healthy about that process even though with psychology speak you could say that you were binary thinking you were you were splitting from a psychodynamic side, and yeah you were and like there's actually nothing wrong with that in my opinion and so that's the first thing i want to say the second thing is you know touching what i said earlier you know i started taking my content creation more seriously and i started um you know, I, I noticed it's like, oh, a little moral outrage is actually going to, you know, generate a lot of engagement. Um, talking about trauma and narcissism and ADHD and neurodivergency gets more engagement. It just does. Um, and so as, you know, therapists want to, you know, make a living, advertise their practice, if they talk about these things for some reason, I don't know exactly why, but social media, people that use social media want to see posts like that. Um and um, that brings me to narcissism. Um, I think it's, again, a good problem to have. I think it's a good thing that people are more aware that this is a type of person that they will certainly encounter in their lives. I mean, the, the prevalence of narcissism and psychopathy, like clinically speaking, 
is not zero, <laughs> you know, like you will meet someone that fits this very textbook clinical definition of this personality disorder at some point in your life, most likely, um, you know, particularly if you live in like a, in a city and are interacting with, with lots of people. And so I do think it's a good thing, but, you know, narcissism is not the same thing as being selfish. It's not the same thing as being, um, you know, manipulative or abusive. In fact, there are some people who are struggling with narcissism that, um, don't necessarily, you know, like take pleasure in, in, in abusing people. Um, they may get into relationships and because of their, um, because the way their mind is designed, it can be very difficult for their loved ones. But like, is that the same thing as being, you know, like a malicious abuser? Like, I don't think so. Um, or someone might have a trait of narcissism, but that doesn't make them narcissistic. So for an example, you know, a lot of people, um, you know, well, in media, let's just use media as an example. Um, it's 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 kind of an act of bravery in some ways, right? You're going to put your face and name out there and tell people what you think and kind of let people decide whatever it is that you may. It takes, you know, at least a little bit of an ego, you know, to be able to put yourself out there like that, right? Does, does that equate grandiosity, you know? If someone wants, you know, cares about the environment and wants to, you know, save the world, like, are they grandiose? you know, for having those, you know, high-minded ideals. I don't necessarily think so. Um, you know, narcissism, it's a, at least from the DSM, it's a constellation of these different symptoms that, you know, when put together, you know, formulate someone who is pretty narcissistic. Um, and I think that, that, you know, if you look at social media, it's like, anyone who's mean to you, anyone who acts out of their own self-interest, anyone who doesn't care about your feelings, um, you know, anyone who is highly disagreeable, you know, anyone who's really competitive and, you know, gets a lot of energy from that. And, you know, people like that, you know, they know exactly what they want and they know exactly how to get it. And like, think of like a really good lawyer, right? A really good debater. They will push and push and push until they get what they want. And you actually want that in a lawyer, right? Now, you know, I have some very dear friends who are lawyers and we, we joke all the time, the things that makes them a great lawyer doesn't necessarily make them a great friend or partner, you know, so they have to, just like the things that make, you know, me a good therapist wouldn't necessarily make me a really, you know, great partner, or fun friend to be around either. So, you know, we have these different dimensions to ourselves, but I would say that that's, that's what I, I want people to take away about narcissism. And um, I want to do a little riff on empath. Do you have any questions about anything that I just said, or just any like general thoughts? Um, I'm excited to hear you riff on empath, but I also just think uh, the reason why I want to talk about narcissism a, a little bit is because I just, I see it thrown around so much, like, oh my God, they were such a narcissist. And again, it's a, it's an umbrella term for that person didn't treat me very nicely, or I told that person what my needs were that I needed to have met and they didn't meet them. Therefore they're a narcissist or they only think about themselves. They didn't think about me. And I think, well, and as you say, there's there's a constellation of personality traits, and um, they could just be um, a thoughtless prick sometimes, as opposed to like mm -hmm. a diagnosed narcissist, which is a which is a, a very different thing. Again, it's the pathologizing, it's the use of a medical term of a diagnosis, if you like, to explain away someone's bad behavior or why you don't like somebody, and it, so it warps yeah. the meaning. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, it's kind of this, um, you know, there's a logical fallacy. It's like an appeal to authority. And it's kind of like a sophisticated way of like calling someone like 
I don't know, like a jackass or like, you know, if you want to use like five-year-old speak, it's like, you're a poopy head. It's like, yeah. you're a narcissist. And it's just like, oh, I'm going to use this, you know, more kind of highfalutin label to just basically say, I don't like you very much. And it's like, well, what if you just don't like them very much? You know, what if they're, you know, or what if they're, you know, when it comes to intimate relationships, you know, emotional immaturity, you know, can look like narcissism because people who are immature are really self-centered. You know, um, I actually just, it's not out yet. I, I recorded it in my last um, film shoot, but I, I did this video on like, you know, when you're really stressed or tired or your inner child is activated or whatever it is, it's normal to be really self-centered. You know, and I kind of made this joke in it where I was like, maybe this is why everyone thinks everyone is a narcissist because mental health stigma is going down. Emotional literacy is going up. Everyone all of a sudden has permission to work their shit out in the open, mm. you know, and it's like, yeah, when they do that, they're going to be self-centered and not thinking about you. They're not going to be very empathic you know, mm. in those moments of distress. That's actually normal, you know, and I also recognize that some people, you know, slip into kind of people pleasing patterns when they're very stressed as well. Um, and so, but both are normal, like both are, you know, known. Okay, know, let's riff so. on empath. I'm really curious to hear. All right. <laughs> so it, 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 this is actually a, a, a more, uh, it was one of my more popular videos. So um, you can go back and check it out if you didn't see it. But basically I say, it's like, hey, like your trauma did not make you an empath. It made you hypervigilant. And so let's actually talk about, you know, hypervigilance and, you know, because it is it is a trauma term and it's um and again even though you know i'm critical about the misuse of trauma i want you know trauma awareness to spread and so a very symptom of trauma is to be hyper vigilant you're going to scan your surroundings you know for signs of danger you know at a rate that is higher than normal like it's actually not adaptive it's not healthy it's often not sustainable in terms of your nervous system um hyper vigilance can be kind of outward facing, but it can also be inward facing. I've kind of noticed with some patients in therapy that it's like they're, they almost become like overly internally aware. And if it is a trauma reaction, it's because maybe you had a, a caregiver or, you know, someone in your life, you weren't really allowed to have your own feelings. It was always about them. And so you had to get really good at getting attuned to little subtle changes in their emotional state. You're kind of scanning. It's like, well, you don't want to piss them off. You don't want to make them anxious. You don't want to confuse them. Um, and then on the internal side of things, you're kind of then like scanning yourself for emotions because you don't want to have to like, you know, you don't want to present a bad emotion to them. And listen, I'm not saying that there aren't, you know, empathic people out there, I, you know, whether or not they, you know, um, should claim the identity of empath is a different conversation. But I've, I've seen it more than once in my practice where people come in and they say, you know, I have, you know, um, I'm an empath and I, I do a history and it's like, well, it also sounds like you have some trauma um, and we do trauma therapy and they don't identify as an empath anymore, you know, because they realize that they were just constantly scanning for other people's negative emotions. Um, and that's not, that's not a fun way to live. Um, and listen, the people in my life who are like genuinely very, very empathic, they don't, they don't wear it like it's this, you know, weird badge of honor like they're a superhero that can like read your mind and they know what you're thinking better than you do um that's actually i would argue a little bit delusional <laughs> um you know you, you think you're mind reading and you that's can't do that i can't do that like no one as far as i'm concerned can can do that that's edward cullen and that's because he can read your thoughts like that's that's when it gets like supernatural <laughs> it's like mm -mm. yeah <laughs> 
you know and so yeah so i think um again it's just it's this other pop psychology term and again i just i want to say it twice some people you know are you know probably born with certain empathic capacities that are maybe you know higher than normal or higher than average sure like i don't I haven't done a deep dive into that. I'm pretty sure that that's probably true, it seems. Um, but if you look at social media, you know, the rate at which people, you know, if I, and also I have a friend, she's an intuition expert and she, what she talks about is she's like, Hey, like everyone has intuitive and empathic capacities that they can even work on and develop, you know, kind of like a skill, like, does that just because you've worked on it, does that make you an empath now? Like, I don't know, but it's just kind of like, but I actually think it's something again, like you're kind of medicalizing or fetishizing or trying to make a very normal human experience and capacity kind of special or different or unique. When I think, I think lots of people would identify as being able to feel what other people feel, you know? So. It's, it's interesting because it's been this shift in the media and I've definitely noticed it in the time that I've been a journalist in that we have now, in order to sell papers or get views or clicks or whatever or, or on red tops, just kind of sell, sell actual physical copies. It used to be, there's the phrase over here, I'm sure it's over there too, if it bleeds, it leads. And so newspaper headlines mm. got really quite... Um, scary salacious I guess in the 90s and it's just escalated from there and one of the shifts is that if there is and let's use the celebrity world if there is a high profile court case so let's use Johnny Depp and Amber Heard at some point the media is going to take a position one of those people is going to be evil awful Mm -hmm. never to be never to be redeemable and the other person is right. going to be the hero, the one who's been wronged by. So with Johnny Depp and Amber Heard, we know which way it went. The same is true with Meghan Markle, for example, who you you there's no nuance there. It's just bad, 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 awful, 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 awful. And so I think this actually filters, yeah. as everything does, it's like Cerulean Blue from The Devil Wears Prada. It filters into real life. And that's where with narcissism mm-hmm. and the empath yeah. dynamic showing up, it's like there can't be any nuance between this dynamic between two people that went wrong or isn't working. It's that one of them has to be evil and one of them has to be good. And of course, no one is going to read about that and think, yes, I'm the a-hole. They're going to, they're going to identify with a right. good person. Of course. Yeah. So I think it filters. Right. it's an interesting how it yeah. filters into society. Yeah. Totally. I I love that you just made a Devil's Wear Prada reference because I, I made the same one just the other day. I was talking about, because, um, you know, I've only been making content like four or five months. I'm still very new to it. And, um, you know, I think I was kind of cynical about social media before. And I know a lot of our conversation has been about like, you know, all these problems that are happening. But um, I see a lot of good on the platforms as well. And that very viral video that we've been referencing, the one about the misuse of the word trauma, you know, yes, for me on my page, on my Instagram, it was viewed like about five and a half million times. But so many people have made stitches and responses of that video. I've also seen other content creators with similar brands to me. About a month later, they started talking about trauma and responsibility and victimhood mentality and like all these things. And it's, I just know for a fact because the people who help me edit my videos and strategize are always sending me clips of things that go viral and be like, what can we borrow from this? And so <laughs> I just have this sense that their social media manager was like, yo, check out like this guy's this. this this is a really hot topic. Maybe we should touch on it to get mm-hmm. engagement. 
And it really just, you know, enlightened me to like the power of social media. And so what I like to tell people now is I, I believe in it. Like I, like someone who cares about social issues, you know, I believe in it in a way that I didn't believe in it before. And I kind of view it as like a, a public square in a certain sense. And, um, I was explaining this to a buddy who's, you know, he's not on social media. He's kind of, you know, <laughs> he's a little turned off by my, um, you know, recent content creator success. And I, I brought up the Double Wears product because I said, hey, like, listen, like, it's not that you have to be on it, but, you know, don't go to the, you know, discount rack and pick out a sweater that's blue and think that you picked out that sweater because at the higher level, there's these conversations about these ideas happening. And I think that's reflected in a lot of my friends, you know, who I said, who I, I would hear misuse the word trauma. It's like, that was actually, those were ideas that were kind of trickled down in a sense to them. And those conversations were actually happening on podcasts and on social media and being written about in books. And so I think it's, um, it's, you know, it's, it's such a wonderful scene in that movie. And it's, um, it really kind of highlights how these things can spread. And with social media, they spread faster than ever nowadays. But I think that's quite a difficult position, dare I say, for you to be in, because fundamentally what you're trying to, what I think you're trying to bring to the conversation is responsible and is measured and is rooted in professionalism. And again, coming back, being responsible, that does seem to be the thing that we're coming back to. But that that isn't a bleeds, if it bleeds, it leads kind of way of content creation. And as someone who's been creating online for a long time as well, you do follow those things. Sometimes you think so-and-so has just gone viral with that. Maybe I should do something. And then at some point you think, mm -hmm. I have to stay in my lane whilst also accepting mm -hmm. that that means the numbers aren't going to go up necessarily. The followers aren't going to come. The reshares aren't going to happen because you're not presenting something yeah. sexy and new and different, which is what people, or that makes people feel a certain way all the time. But your content is your content and it's great. So I wonder if you've, if even though you're early in your, your process, whether you've started yeah. to feel that a little bit, whether you felt the pull towards yeah. going after the numbers. Yeah. Um, I think for me, it's, I'm approaching it as, as both. And I believe that, um, you know, social, um, there are lots of ways to make a positive social impact. And one of the ways to do that is to, um, marry the impact you want to create to a commercial interest like like social media um i think that the one thing that i have going with me and i think it's one of the ways you might explain my quick growth as i've gotten started here is that um you know a, a therapist getting on camera and being like hey you know what it might not all be trauma like it might be like you know what there actually is something kind of new and refreshing and you know, a little bit, you know, bleeding about that too, if it, if it bleeds and leads, because, um, you know, even though I, I do my best to make the, you know, the videos um, measured um, and, and, and responsible. And like I said earlier, I'm not doing it to be contrarian for the sake of just getting likes. I know that for whatever reason, there are going to be people that um, don't think that the nuance should be touched on. Um, and whether they're right or wrong or, you know, whatever it is that motivates them to do that, they're going to comment and they're, and they're, and they're going to drive engagement. And um, it's been my attitude. I only just, you're actually my second, I'm, this is my second podcast I've been asked to be on. Um, I'm very, I'm, I'm just, my attitude is I'm very, very open about that. I'm like, listen, this is, this is how it works, you know? Um, and so that, that's the approach I'm taking. I don't know if you've, have you been able to check out Toxic Therapy, bro? 
on my page at all. Oh yeah, so this is Tana. You've yeah. created yeah. you is an AI <laughs> therapy yeah. client slash patient, yeah. and you're right. working yeah. through a session to sort of show the process. Yeah, exactly. So it's um I am using um an augmented reality face filter to change my face. I actually took a few acting lessons, um, nothing super major, but to just kind of like help me, you know, um, appear a little different um, outside of the, the the facial change. And he's he's been a lot of fun. And I'm going to start putting a lot more content out, um, focusing on him um, because it's it's new and different. There is kind of this, again, there's kind of this, if it bleeds, it leads. It's like, oh, like toxic therapy bro this kind of like angry dude whose girlfriend forced me into therapy like what's his deal like what would therapy with him be like there's you know kind of this intrigue and um i guess what i would say is that you know what we focused on today is you know the misuse of certain pop psychology terms and that's that's not just an important issue socially but it's an important content vertical for me right now it's like that is what people like listening to me talk about and there's also been a lot of enthusiasm for like these other verticals like tanner um, and kind of using social media in a way to um, be entertaining, but and also educate people about therapy. And the really fun thing I think about his concept is, you know, we all know we're not supposed to armchair diagnose people and use these terms. But um, my inspiration for him is I was like, well, what if there was a fictional character where that was the point? And so that's what I say when people look at his videos. I go, what do you think his diagnosis is? I know what it is. And it will get <laughs> revealed eventually. But you know, we're not, we're not there yet in his, in his journey. And so it's, it's fun and it's playful and it doesn't necessarily have to be. So I think doom and gloom to get engagement. Well, it's also something I've never seen before. So I'm excited to see how toxic therapy grow develops yeah. and evolves before <laughs> I let you go. I do want to ask you, I, because there are a few more things on my list, but I do want to ask you about oh, the, sure. um, the cult of victimization. We've kind of talked about the cult of trauma, but the cult of victimization yeah. and this sort of, this idea of celebrating weakness and vulnerability. And again, from my perspective, what I see, particularly with content creation and content creators, is that if somebody goes through something difficult slash traumatic mm-hmm. and writes a, 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 well, put it this way, I have seen so many people basically write essays on social media about their mental health and they put some nice twinkly music on the background and then they get flooded with sending love. Um, it, it just, it it gets so much engagement. And then it's almost as if, well, because that posted really well, I should probably talk about that thing that happened to me again and again and again and again. And I don't necessarily know how helpful that is. And so I've encountered this with talking about recovering from an eating disorder in that I talk about it rarely but when I do talk about it it has to have a point and it has to be what I hope is helpful to somebody because my engagement will spike but it doesn't necessarily help my recovery to uh, exist in the space where I'm owning it because I'm trying to move on and move forward yeah yeah that was um that post um was actually inspired from the original trauma video because um, debates about victimhood were just a plenty in the comments, mm-hmm. um, and it's something that um, I've also noticed on social media. And the the thing that it, I want to, how, how do I want to say this? I think the thing that I want people to 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 take away is number one. I even say this in the video. 
I'm not saying that people aren't true victims to things. You know, that's not what I'm saying. I'm talking about a mentality and identity. Um, and I think that, you know, as a, as a mental health professional um, who has worked with people with, you know, what we might call like victimhood consciousness, victimhood identity, it's a rough place to be. Um, and I, I, I say that with the most kind of, you know, care and compassion. I don't, I don't want people to be in that place. You know, I personally, I don't feel like I had the, the training or the knowledge to, you know, and frankly, it feels a little naive to say like, I, you know, I don't want there to be, you know, victims ever, you know, um, I would like there to be less victims in the world. That sounds nice. That sounds like a laudable goal, of course, but something I think I can speak to is again, victimhood mentality or victimhood identity or victimhood consciousness. And the, one of the more interesting things that I've seen in my comments, I, it was a separate video. I said something about how, um, you know, most mental illnesses can be cured. And if they can't be cured, you can manage them and live a wonderful, normal life. Um, and that is, and that is true. I mean, you know, despite what, you know, you might see in the news about treatment resistant, this and this, like most cases of PTSD are not unbelievably treatment resistant, you know, like there's like, actually like, as it, like if you, you know, are feeling depressed and it's a, it's a mental or emotional etiology, like the origin is in your mind and it's, you don't have like hormonal imbalance or something, um, therapy will help, you know? And I think it's, it's a hopeful message. And I, all these comments under that video were like, I don't see media talking about therapy success stories. And I was just like, you know what? I don't think I do either. And so the, um, the other side of that, you know, victimhood video is, um, which is like, that's, I, I want to start talking about that more in the future. Um, I'm actually talking with some other mental content creators. We want to do, um, something like it. I don't know if it's exactly a bit, but it's something like hashtag breakthrough campaign where it's kind of like, like, this was a breakthrough I had in my therapy. Like, this was a breakthrough a patient had. Like, this is something to, like, also kind of help you understand mm -hmm. yourself. Because, I mean, I mean, I just think it makes so much sense. And I don't know why it's it's not more seen. Maybe it's what you said, which is, well, it's if it bleeds, it leads. Um, it, it maybe isn't as, you know, titillating as a story. But I think that, you know, people also go and see movies about success stories and feel really inspired and so i think we should we should maybe try talking about that a little bit more it's funny isn't it because one of the reasons i first got into podcasting was because i was struggling and actually what i found with podcasting is like a plug into really positive conversations with people who were excelling and so i was able to quiet what was going on in my own negative brain and then i felt like we kind of fetishize success <laughs> And then I was slightly turned off by that. So, um, yeah, but everything's evolving. Everything's evolving. Yeah. And it's kind of gone the other yeah, way with sure. mental health. It's like, <laughs> let's not let's not talk about the success of mental health. Let's just label ourselves as having a mental health diagnosis. And then yeah. let's just stop there. <laughs> right. Yeah, totally. I mean, I have, you know, I, I've, you know, like, a, like I think about like a friend of mine with ADHD. It's like they have ADHD and it, they, you know, they manage it. And when they're really stressed or they're really tired or, you know, with the, the Adderall shortage right now, like, you know, like it was a little bit more, it's a little more obvious at times, but they, they, they work on it. You know, mm -hmm. there's one, one of my favorite posts that I've made was the, I don't know if you caught it. It was the one where I say, um, the hook was as a psychotherapist, I don't care about your mental health. 
I care about your character. Yeah. And I talk about how when it comes to like loved ones and relationships, it's like whether or not you have a diagnosis, it actually just doesn't matter to me. It matters to me. Do you work on it? <laughs> like, are you fun to be around? You know, like, are we close? Like, do I enjoy your companionship or like whatever it is? Like, those are the better questions for me. And I think it's, um, and that's, in my opinion, a far better way to destigmatize mental health than to um, make your diagnosis, your identity. Um, one of my followers says, I'm forgetting who it was, or I would totally give him credit. I thought it was so funny, but he goes, remember everyone, treat it, don't tweet it. <laughs> and I was just like, I just thought it was such a funny phrase and I, I wholeheartedly agree. <laughs> I love it. Treat it, don't tweet it. I might have to steal that. Um, it's been so fascinating totally. to talk to you. And I really yeah. appreciate your insights and your uh, perspective yeah. on all of this, because I think it is really measured and I think it is really responsible. So thank you. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, if you have, if there's anything else you want to kind of riff about, I have a little time. No pressure. I know we're coming up on an hour, but um, we're also um, happy to wrap up. <laughs> yes, no. Do you know what? The only other thing I was thinking of is when we were talking about trauma, I was thinking about podcasts. And one of the podcasts I used to listen to loads was Tim Ferriss. And I am back in the room a little bit with Tim at the moment. But um, I was, I sort of opted out when he went into angel investing but at the time he was talking about all of the money he was putting into research into psilocybin and ptsd over in the states and i think that the evidence for treatment of ptsd particularly in returning vets has been astounding i haven't seen the papers i've only heard uh information on the yeah. podcast yeah. but i think it's really interesting that a podcast that i probably heard from tim maybe five years ago and now what i'm hearing out in the okay albeit media world is a lot of people microdosing because microdosing because they're like yeah. well I probably have some trauma and that's really good for trauma isn't it well that's really good for stress and I just yeah. I think there's this weird thing of uh, again it's the cerulean blue it's like here's all this incredible research yeah. that's going into psilocybin in universities in the right mm. conditions and then it's on the street and people who are having a bad day are like oh Best do some microdosing. Yeah, <laughs> sure. Yeah. So what I will say is, um, I, I, um, from what I know, the research is promising as well. Um, with PTSD, I also know the MDMA research that's mm. come out. Um, I'm not. This is not my focus area, so I'm not super fluent in it. But the people who I've talked to who are are like, we can't even believe it. Like it's actually like you know really really exciting and and amazing and um you know, I have a similar concern about this MDMA research that's starting to come out kind of like you pointed to where it's like, well, are people just going to start like rolling all the time and be like, well, it's good for your trauma? <laughs> because um, and I think that um, it's a little bit like people are like, well, you know, this wine is good for my anxiety. It's like, yeah, like it is like temporarily, <laughs> you know, when it comes to the psilocybin, you know, I am not a critic of plant medicine or kind of psychedelic medicine i um i i will you know leave everyone listening with this thought which is i have seen clinically and personally people who get really really into going on journeys and microdosing and over time and this is just me anecdotally they have started to occur to me as completely different people yep like a completely different personality and not in a good way like, you know what I mean? It's like, you're actually like harder to be around. Yeah. And I wonder, you know, I mean, like there's so many factors. There's their body chemistry. There's their ability to navigate consciousness. There's how often they were doing it, how much they were doing it. But I think that um, people that really work in this space would also say like, 
did they do it intentionally and did they integrate you know after you know mm-hmm. microdosing and going to concerts all the time is very very different you know from you know maybe some self-guided ex- exploration and again it really isn't my area but i i i leave that with just you know um it's just like a, a friendly caution it's like mm-hmm. yeah like these things do have therapeutic value it seems and that doesn't make them safe that doesn't make them without consequences you know in fact we they we you know they have consequences because of the long-term outcome studies that are coming out yeah <laughs> about using these things therapeutically you know what i mean so it's like it's that's i guess that's just where I'll, I'll kind of leave it at that it's um it'll be interesting to see how all that shakes out i i mean i'm no psychic and i'm definitely not going to get us started on that but i think a book is in your future joe <laughs> oh <laughs> thank you so much um i will um i've actually um am in the process of writing one about pop psychology terms go figure it's been my most um it's been my most uh, popular content vertical and um um, nothing is um, definitive yet, but I'm in conversations with people about um, my own podcast. And so I really appreciate you having me. And it's, um, you know, I was on someone else's last week and it's um, like, again, this is my second one. And so just like, thank you for like, just like the practice. And it's been so fun to talk to you. We got to do it again. And I um, think so. And yeah, even if, you know, and then if you have any, you know, feedback for me after the recording, I would, I would welcome it. So. Oh, okay. well, we'll definitely stay in touch. Don't you worry about that. But in the meantime, yeah. um, I will make sure that the links to Joe, are in the show notes but it's been such a pleasure thank you so much for joining me joe thank you so much thank you so much for listening to that episode of the emma gun show i do hope you enjoyed it i appreciate your time hugely if you did enjoy it and you never want to miss an episode then please do hit the subscribe button wherever it is that you are streaming and downloading this episode. It's also where you get the opportunity to leave a five-star review and a rating for how you feel about the show. And I'd be so grateful if you wouldn't mind leaving one. If you want to get in touch with me, email me at thebeautypodcast at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you. Or you can DM me on Instagram and Twitter where I am at Emma Guns. If you fancy chatting to me and thousands of other fellow listeners of the podcast, then click the link to join the Facebook forum. The link to join is in the show notes, which can be found wherever it is that you are streaming and downloading this episode you have to answer a couple of questions but we cannot wait to see you there come over and join the conversation thank you so much for listening i will see you on the next one